Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dell, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth. Hi and welcome to the Your Wealth podcast. I'm Gemma Dale, NABTRADE's Director of SMSF and Investor Behaviour. Coronavirus has gone from a small news item about a virus in China to affecting all of our lives in ways unimaginable only a couple of weeks ago. I'll start by timestamping this podcast because things are changing so quickly and we need to let you know when we're talking. It's Friday the 20th of March in the late morning. Many of us over the last couple of weeks have become amateur virologists and markets are desperately trying to understand and price in the impact of something that we really barely understand, despite our pretenses about knowing all about it. Today I'm speaking with someone who actually has a PhD in virology and who manages investors' money in these extraordinary times, Dr. Bianca Ogden, the portfolio manager of the Platinum International Healthcare Fund, uh, who has an incredible combination of skills and knowledge at a time like this. I'm also joined by Julia McCormack, investment specialist with Platinum, who was on this podcast last year and spoke strongly about share price valuations and why the world had gone mad. So he was uh, speaking with great wisdom, frankly, at that time. Julian, Bianca, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. So extraordinary times, Julia. I'm so glad you're with me because your views were so strong last year and you took such a position that wasn't terribly popular at the time. Things were still... Uh, you know, markets only peaked in February, right? And we probably spoke in, well, let's say, August. Uh, so a lot happened between August and February, and then a hell of a lot has happened between February and now. Uh, you were talking very much about markets being in bubble territory. And the point that you made uh, so eloquently was that it doesn't matter which pencil pops the bubble. The point is the bubble is going to pop at some point. What are your thoughts about how things are playing out now? So I think, let me preface all of my comments by saying a year ago or whatever I was saying, you want to have a lot of cash. Mm. Now the world has changed and now you want to be using the cash. So it felt awful to have cash, you know, when everything's great because you're not going to make any money in the cash. Now it feels awful to use the cash and you have to use the cash. So I have no idea, and none of us do, whether markets go down further from here. My gut is they probably do. Um... But I don't care. You've got to turn this into a process. So, so markets bottoming is a process, and you've got to participate in that process. So people have to have to n- not sell. They actually have to actively commit more money to markets now. You know, however they do that in funds or in stocks they know or whatever. Um, I think there's been a few lessons learned about the nature of businesses at the end of a cycle with ready capital availability. Um, Again, I won't name names, but you know some of the sort of consumer finance type things that have emerged in this country, which were just appalling, right? appalling uses of capital, have gone the way that I think was pretty predictable. And there's a whole bunch of those, but this is a process. You know, this the easy ones go first. Um, nothing's really gone broke yet. Right? So no, no major bankruptcies. You say yet? Yes, absolutely. Mm. Like this is a, this is the end of the cycle, everybody. As near as I can tell. So could this be all wrong, and we we're all fine in two weeks' time? There's a whole bunch of implications around that, and I'll let I'll let Bianca talk more to the you know the epidemiology or whatever. But you know what do you, what what do your listeners think is going to happen from here? Right in major developed economies, as they go to sort of like what's GDP going to do? Minus thirty, at a guess. Minus twenty five percent at a guess, so huge, huge interruption of economic activity, 
and you must expect things will break. So unemployment goes up, people go broke. There are just all these slippages in the system, right? Like, so the, the analogy I'd use is there's a bucket. The bucket was full. So, so it was full of capital. You could access that capital really easily. Now there are all these leaks appearing in the bucket and, and officials will seek to fill that bucket up, right? They'll, they'll seek to top it up. So, so we don't know how successful that will be, but it's almost impossible for me to, to, to imagine that you get through this without very significant dislocation in, in big economies. So, but as that's happening and as the headlines get worse and as you all feel worse about markets and everything's sort of lousy, that's the time you've got to be using your money. You make so many good points there, and I think the statistic that stood out to me as a, a very early sign of how quickly the dislocation is taking place was that Coles advertised that they were going to take on 5,000 new staff. Did you see this? So right. they're, they're very busy right now, as yeah. you can imagine. 5,000 new staff, and they had 30,000 applicants yeah. in one day. Yeah. Apparently their standard number of applicants in one day is 800. Oh my God. So oh, okay. the number of people who are anxious about their jobs have already lost work uh, or who feel yeah. that it is absolutely worth locking down work of any type right now yeah. is enormous. And that was, that was one day. One can only imagine what the next day would be like. So Julian, you talked about high quality value stocks at unprecedented discounts, as we say, six six, nine months ago, whatever it was, and growth stocks like tech companies and also the other ones you mentioned, the consumer finance and so on, at extraordinary valuations, really astonishing, you know, 100 times, this kind of stuff. Do you think there's any reason in how things are being dumped right now or is everything getting hit? A bit of both. So so, uh, as as one of our guys said this morning, I mean, markets go from sort of denial to acceptance to some degree of panic and and as they get as economies get locked down the markets sort of seem to sell off right so china went first it's basically back to the level it was pre covid um, but the context of china is really interesting because you know it's it's actually pretty resilient to shock because it's had the had the stuffing kicked out of it for 10 years. It's been reforming its financial system. It's sort of trying to de-gear itself. It's felt lousy. So then you get a shock, markets sell off a bit, but then they bounce back pretty well, as well as the response was pretty remarkable. But again, that's sort of beyond my bailiwick. Now Europe is getting walloped. You know, Europe's down sort of varying by market, but 30 to 40% in local currency, less in Aussies because the Aussies weakened, but, but in local currency, something like that. And the US has done less than that, so sort of 20 to 25 sort of moves in, in their markets, so NASDAQ or S&P or Russell or whatever. So that kind of looks to me like there's more work to do in markets to, to, get, to get clear. And, and there's other, other indications of that too. So, so treasuries and gold have sold off at the same time as equities have sold off. So everything's, everything's being sold. <laughs> Where are they going when they're selling everything? Just well, straight to cash? Well, well, back to that analogy around the bucket, right? Mm. So, so I've got a lot of money in my bucket. I'm a big, you know, geared investor. I use the gearing to fill up the bucket. Now some value disappears. The gearing disappears with it, and it's really a multiple quick. of the value. So, so, so you have to get liquidity wherever you can get it, and the places that are hurting you most you probably can't sell because they've gone no bid. Mm. So... so, so there's no buyer mm. of the so so if they're you know off the run bonds so they're not like the most liquid bond contract or if they're sort of 
you know, funky over-the-counter sort of positions that they, you can't sell them. Like those markets are effectively shut. And so then you have to migrate to wherever you can get the liquidity from. And that's what we're seeing. So some indiscriminate selling, but not totally indiscriminate. And, and I'd also say not very panicked. Interesting. So one of the comments you did make last year was that there will be stuff where there's no buyer at any price. Yeah. You're starting to see that in some markets now. Yeah. 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 It's, it, I find it fascinating. So um, I've never seen a recession as a working adult. Yeah. Never happened. Yeah, and the, exactly. the majority of Australians haven't. Yeah, yeah. Bianca's German, so she's seen about five. Oh. <laughs> I'm like... I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you've seen this all before, but the rest of us are like, oh my God, this is terrifying. I heard about this from my parents, but I have no idea what this is going to feel like. Mm-hmm. Julian, you've expressed some thoughts about how the world will be different once this crisis plays out. Do you want to talk us through some of that? You've made some really interesting points. Yeah, I will. But on the proviso that it's sort of, um, it, it's more philosophical than, than useful perhaps. But but so so we have been sort of bound by these um, monetarist strictures for a long time. And um, over the last sort of five years, you've seen the emergence of populism, but but within a pretty narrow band of um, fiscal insanity, because the defining characteristic of populism is, is the spending of money. That's the most important definitional item. Well, now they're going to get a chance. Now they're going to get now a chance. Now you can start throwing your it. money at anything. That's it. Mm. So if you go back and look at what happened in the 30s, so, so that you know, the fascists spent money, uh, FDR spent money like crazy, you know, the, you know, and in completely unprecedented ways. Which, and you might think, oh, well, that's just a Keynesian response or whatever. Keynes didn't write any of this down until thirty-six. <laughs> so, so, you, so people were just responding as best they could to fill a gap. And I think you're going to see that in. Well, sorry, I don't think that 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 is happening in spades. Sending and, out checks. Yeah, and that's from a start point of U.S. You know, um, you know, just federal government budget deficits of five to six percent of GDP at the end of a cycle. Oh, look at I guess that's going to fifteen percent of GDP, which would be unprecedented apart from the Second World War. So in the Second World War, we got down to 24 percent deficits to GDP. Do we get there? I mean, that's the language they're using. So that's possible, right? So, so you have very loose fiscal policy now, and you actually have hugely tight monetary policy now because we can't move rates below zero. We can, but it doesn't work. So, so if, if inflation goes lower than zero, we actually have very tight monetary policy and very loose fiscal policy or impulsive fiscal policy, which just changes the whole preference order of what you want to own. You, know, you, you don't want to own bond-like, you know, um, long-duration type assets in that kind of environment. You actually want to own something that's going to pay you quickly. Um, so that sort of changes the makeup. I think, in, in, you know, just, and the simpler thing is, if this is actually at the end of a cycle, it is almost never the case that the thing you led, that led you into the end of the cycle, leads you back out of the, of the event that interrupts the cycle. So, so just, just think of the last few cycles. So tech led into 2000, that all breaks. US housing leads you back out of it, then that's followed by resources, sort of globally. Then that all breaks 0809. Then you get let out by safety, and then you and then you get tech following on from that. Now we're going to break that. What's going to lead from there? Not 100 percent sure, but I, you know, my gut is it's things that respond well to a more inflationary world, with a, you know, a, a sort of potential for real wholesale um, surrender of fiscal rationality. You know, you could really get really pretty big outcomes from here. 
It's going to be extraordinary watching this, I think. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's interesting. Like, the, it's totally unprecedented. It's not... When people started talking about COVID-19, there was a lot of, we're not going to be talking about this in five years. And so, Bianca, I'm going to ask you all about this now. I feel like we are going to be talking about it in five years, right? I feel like we are, certainly, as I said two weeks ago, none of us thought that we've all changed our minds very quickly. So, Bianca, your background is extraordinarily valuable at a time like this. And we were talking before we started <laughs> we started recording that no one cared about virology not so long ago, but suddenly it's fascinating. Can you tell us what is known about COVID-19 as a starting point? Yeah. So I, th- I guess I, I go back to viruses. What are they? So so one of the things that they're, they're around, they've always been around. There's many of them. There, as we talked about, there's in plants, there is in animals, there is in us humans. So there's lots of them around. But usually they don't really do... A lot of things to us but um, over time there have been outbreaks and if you look at measles if you look at, at, at childhood where we get vaccinations for it they um, they're around but we have dealt with them so um, if you look at uh, the coronavirus it's like a family of has different members and there's for example four members that we have um, that we have uh, caused a common cold essentially, that we probably all have been exposed to, but they don't really do much much damage, so we don't really notice it, we don't get tested for it. So, but once in a while, there comes a one that isn't so nice to us, and um, so we all remember SARS and MERS, and now we obviously will remember COVID. And this one um, is one, I think, that changes our view about vaccination, it changes our view about antiviral therapeutics because it is affecting everyone, whereas the other ones have kind of always pitted out a little bit. And um, so to me, I almost look at it and say, okay, this is a virus. It basically is very simple how it looks like. It has a little shell around it that has spikes on top, and these spikes help it to get into its human host, for example. And what viruses have, they cannot survive by themselves. They have to get into a host because they use all the machinery to survive from this host. So once there is no host, they basically die. Um, One of the things that I find quite interesting because people don't really realise why we keep saying wash your hands with soap is um, viruses have this lipid layer around them. So lipid and soap, essentially, it, it melts the lipid away and that's why the virus can't survive. And that's why it's such a big thing to do. And I think we've really changed our way how we're going that for going on and I don't think we will stop for years to come on washing our hands now. But um, what we know about this virus, we know a lot and we learned a lot very, very quickly, which is quite amazing. I internally use, and also to our investors, use the analogy to HIV a lot. When HIV was, um, or the disease AIDS was discovered, it was um, an issue with something everyone said, well, there's these people that really their immune system is not working, um, but we don't know what causes it. And so um, it took several years to understand that is a virus, which is called the um, human immunodeficiency virus. Well, with COVID, we got the first um, person or first reports coming out of China in, in December. Very quickly, within weeks, we knew it was a respiratory virus that is part of the coronavirus family and we got the sequence. So because of all the technologies that we have today and and scientists that are around biotechs in particular, they really pulled together and came up with this, distributed very quickly and so we could start coming up with tests. Now we can debate which country was behind and coming up with a test, but China in particular was very quick to then then distribute that. So, so we know a lot about the virus, we know how it looks like, we know its sequence and um, 
We now also very quickly understand how it gets into a cell, what it does. Just um, not long ago, I think it was almost just 10 days ago, um, scientists came up with the structure of these spike proteins to really look at it. So it's, it's, it's at a speed that I've never seen before, how people really pull together and, and, and come up with what happens. We now can analyze samples from, from people in China that have recovered, can look at how has their immune system reacted, what can we learn from that. So there's an immense activity going on. Which I think to the point where you said how what will change in the years to come, I think one of the one is really the reputation of the biotech industry that really is is has been amazing through this. While everyone usually bashes them about price competition, I think now they're realizing they actually have a pretty big function for us. And I think there will be a lot of investments into vaccines, into antivirals to prevent something like that. And while we all know the influenza vaccine that we take every year, I think we may have a COVID vaccination every year or every, I don't know, boosters, whatever we whatever we end up with. But I think it has really put that onto mindset saying, well, let's not totally ignore this this family of viruses. Influenza, yeah, we don't like it, but this one is also quite a thing. So that's, that's how I look at it. So it's something we're going to have to live with. That's such an important perspective. Uh, so <laughs> one of the sort of memes I've seen going around on social media is where are all the anti-vaxxers now and (laughs) I found that quite funny because they've been awfully quiet Um, as I would be if I were worried about my family suddenly a vaccine seems very attractive Um, and you might think that bone broth for your kids is going to be enough but if you're worried about your grandparents you might have a different view Uh, so how do you say, Trump was an anti-vaxxer for a while there. He was spreading a few yeah. few things about vaccinations and how dangerous they were for people, but he seems to have changed his tune on that one. Yeah. Um, how do you see the health impact playing out, given what we know so far? Governments are responding in different ways. I think the UK has been very telling, where originally they were talking about herd immunity and now they've closed the schools, and that yeah. happened within, what, six days or something? So mm-hmm. they've gone from, let's let everyone get it to... Yeah go home, shut your door, don't come out again? Look, I I think one of the things I do, being German, I'm very kind of, um, you don't believe something first, you always look for the fact. So what I've been doing, there is a um, a virologist in Germany who um, works in Berlin, and he's been kind of the, um, he gives a podcast every day about this, this area of coronavirus, that's his speciality, and he's been very good. And he has also initially um, basically said, well, let's see how it pans out. What's happened? We have to understand the virus. And he, over time, has become more concerned how how quickly it can spread. And um, one of the, the um, I think, understandings that has been worked out is we've realised that it's a virus that goes higher up in our respiratory, so upper respiratory infection. And because of that, it is much easier to basically spread around, whereas SARS was deeper, and that was so it was much much harsher virus and caused a lot more damage, but it couldn't actually go everywhere. Whereas this one, some even say it doesn't cause as harsh if if you're healthy, it doesn't cause as harsh as if you had mild symptoms, but it then goes around very very quickly. And once scientists I think figured that out. And everyone quotes this Imperial report, Imperial College report, and yeah, that's fine. But I think a lot of scientists, they're much more particular virologists, they want the data first before they really panic and they don't want, they're not really tend to panic. 
And they just say, well, we've seen that now. So best thing, because we cannot, ideally, we would test like everyone who would line up. Everyone gets like a, like you get in a bowel cancer testing kit at home. Um, you would get a test here, COVID, uh, do your swap, send it off, and everyone would get tested. But that's impossible because we don't have the, um, the tests in, in such abundance. So the best thing is please stay at home, stay away. How do they, the problem is how do you convey such a message without causing panic amongst everyone and I think that has been the problem because of the switch but I I can fully understand how people change because and that's great because you do have to adjust to the what's in front of you and I think that's where the general population gets a bit worried like oh why did they change well they really change because they have other informations and and scientists in particular trained to look at the facts and change and I think that's what we're seeing so I'm not so worried about the changes I think it's it's ultimately the right thing to do and I can also understand by having people outside and maybe spreading it a little bit is, in fact, because we don't want this a wave to come and have this whole problem. We just want it, okay, we somehow get have to get an immunity to this, a baseline immunity, because we don't have a vaccine that would function like that. So it's that kind of way. So I think we... Um, the reactions are as they are, and I don't really mind if they change as long as it's based on facts. So, yeah. So question without notice, but I think it's really helpful for people to understand, particularly investors. So mm. uh, companies have come out, I've seen videos saying we're now testing the first vaccine. Yes. Can you explain, mm. um, and it may differ depending on jurisdiction, mm. how long it takes to create a vaccine, mm. test it, mm. and then get it to market so they can yeah. use it on humans? Because I think people respond immediately to that news. Fantastic, yeah. I'll buy that company. Yeah. It'll all be over in three weeks. Yeah. No, not really. Um, look, uh, I, on that company, because everyone probably saw it's the first company, Moderna, we owned this company for over two years, So we and we explained to you why we owned it, why we think it's a very interesting technology. But to take a step back, the traditional way how you make a vaccine is essentially, so we understand how the, va- the virus looks like, so what does a virus usually do in a human? It, it comes in, and it essentially, the immune system picks it up and says, oh, you're foreign, I've got to get away, I've got to get rid of you. So then the immune system basically basically increases all its activity, recruits, I always call them soldiers, that run around and make sure that they combat this, this pathogen. Um, so that's, that's how our functional immune system works with it. And over time, it deals with it and gets rid of it. Now, with, with new, um, new viruses, new pathogens, the immune system doesn't, has never seen it. So it just basically goes into overdrive and basically says, oh my God, what am I going on? Often that is too much for, for a human being and that's where we're seeing the, the symptoms. Now with the vaccine, what you basically want to do, you want to prime the immune system and say, look, this is, this is kind of um, some, some foreign object that's going to come to you and you have to react to that. It's bad, so please react to it. And so what a vaccine does, it's stimulus, so when then the, the real thing comes in, they know, what well, I've got to do this, I have my program and I'm going to do it and I get rid of it. Um, and sometimes vaccines are very strong where you have this program really kind of set in stone and it lasts for several several years. But for example, with influenza, we have to reprogram it every year with a vaccine. Um, and that's essentially what happens. So the, the process to make 
this artificial virus or artificial pathogen, if you want to call it, takes quite a while because you essentially have to find what particle is it that causes the um, the immune system to, to react. And so and then you have to make it in really large quantities. And that usually takes quite some time. And, and the, the normal timeline that's quoted is 12 to 18 months, which essentially you also have to test it in animals. You then have to make sure when you give it to humans that it's safe, that it doesn't cause anything. And then you have to um, do, you can't obviously give the human the um, disease to see, oh, are you going to be okay now? No, you have to do other ways of measuring is their immune response and is the immune response large enough to, to deal with something like that. So that's the general idea. Now, in the last couple of years, there are a couple of companies that um, essentially decided, well, thought about there should be other technologies that make vaccine development quicker and much more broad as a platform. And one of these companies is a US company called Moderna, while the other company is a German, there's two German companies, one is called BioNTech and the other one is CureVac. And these three companies use something called a messenger RNA technology. And what that is, is essentially when you make a, um, the viral particle, you, you have to tell a so-called cell line, or for example, you have to tell the in, in influenza, the, the, the eggs get infected with a seed where you, this, this molecule that tells you what this particle looks like, and it's usually a kind of chemical molecule, if you want to use that term, but what they basically say, okay, we can make this chemical molecule, but instead of giving it into a cell line and making it artificially in a, in a, in a, in a brewing vat, for example, you give it straight to the, to the, to the human being because the human being has this machinery that recognizes this, this information molecule and then can turn that information molecule into the viral particle or whatever you want it to turn into, so it primes the immune system. And what you do by that, you cut out that whole manufacturing process. And you can also, because these chemical molecules are easy to make, you can test a lot of them and see which one is the best and does the best. And that's why um, everyone is quite excited about Moderna. While we were always from the start excited because to us it felt vaccine, the development of vaccines, the way you do it is is a relatively old traditional technology and we were looking for something that can really disrupt that industry and that's why we were where we were in BioNTech and we're in Moderna. Now we didn't know that they had a pandemic vaccine or coming. We knew they had probably the possibility that they can bring that out very quickly and that's what in the end happened. So within 42 days they came up with this with this information molecule and they were already working with the NIH um, with the government in the US to do that. So that's kind of why people are excited because it is a different way of making it. And then on top of that, um, to scale up in the old way, you need lots of different um, vats. It's a bit more um, cumbersome. Whereas these guys, a chemical molecule, you can make um, a lot of things much quicker and, and also cheaper. That's, I think, why people are quite excited and why the shares of these two companies in particular have gone quite well. So, but it's it's not, to be honest, um, it is really, we liked the idea of their, their, their technology and we think it's important, we still believe that, and it's just they're now making, um, trying to do a vaccine. There's others, but these ones are just a new wave of, of what you can do. So fortuitous then. I think so, yeah. <laughs> but then also there's some foresight in that, yes. right? Spending time on it. One of the stories I love most was that apparently Catherine the Great uh, when va- the smallpox smallpox vaccine was 
released in Europe and she was trying to convince the Russians that getting vaccinated mm. was a good idea. She had herself and her son vaccinated in public so that people yeah. could see that it yeah. was not a, a high-risk activity. She felt that that was something that everyone should then yeah. do. She, very much ahead of her time. Yeah. <laughs> so you manage a global healthcare fund, an interesting place to be right now. Feels like one of the few sectors that will benefit in this kind of crisis, but also has an enormous amount of yeah. benefit to add to communities. Yeah. Is that how you view it at the moment? Um, I, I've long viewed it that it is a, a unrecognised, um, exciting sector. So while everyone talks about tech, because we all know it, we all know Facebook, we all know um, Salesforce and we name it, those companies, Twitter. Um, it's um, Biotech has always been like that, oh, I don't understand, I don't really know. Um, but it is actually a, an area where there's immense progress been made over the last 10 to 15 years. It's um, an industry that has, has, has received a lot of funding and there's lots of work going on. And I think people recognise that now. I always get the, um, the, the question by many people saying, oh, yeah, but they're always pri- the pricing is a problem and their drugs are so expensive and they have patent cliffs. And it's, it's, it's that that people have to understand. That's all true, but in the end, um, the, the innovation that's going on is absolutely amazing. And to me, it's a sector that, don't want to run or jinx it, but I think will lead us out of, of something and people will realise, you know, wow, in such a short period of time, these guys have pulled together and they, um, they are relentless in what they do. You don't really see often um, bankruptcies in that, in that sector. They tend to find something in the freezer or somewhere where they pull out and say, look, let's try this. And we're seeing that now. They all look at their tests and trying to really come together as, a, as an industry. We have um, Roche in Switzerland currently increasing production very, very quickly of one of the products that helps to alleviate the, um, the when the immune system goes crazy with, 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 with COVID to alleviate those symptoms and help people recover faster. So you see all that and I think people understand, wow, there is a lot of value here. And if I look today at the stock market, interestingly, biotechs have been um, very decimated. The value out there is immense. It's I've never I've I've been in this business for fifteen years, and I've I've never seen um, a treasure trove of opportunities, um, and that's amazing because you've got gene therapies coming through. These companies are relatively cheap now. You've got um, I think there will be a lot of antiviral research going on, um, and all of that. So to me, it's um, it just highlights the the excitement that there is. And it highlights the opportunities and possibilities and, and the speed. I think that's what people always take so long. It's like, no, 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 you've got to get away from how things have been done. These companies are very open to challenging. They're always about challenging something. And um, they don't take no for an answer. And I think that's so if you take Moderna again about when we started, we talked to them when they were not listed. Um, and everyone always said, oh, they're, they're just very secretive, you know, they're not real. And I thought, well, what are you talking about? Like, I get all the papers. They give me the papers. They're very nice. They're very good to talk to. Um, but it was it was that. And now it's like even other companies now say, oh, no, that's all traditional. You know, it's better to do traditional vaccines, none of this new startup thing. It's like, well, they got out there. So it is that where this industry is, is very interesting. But a lot of people have, I think, fear because they think, oh, it falls over. You know, they, they're always, they always um, explode. Something goes wrong. But that's normal. You just have to make sure that you know the people and that the science is right. So I, to me, I, I can only see positives come out for that sector. And, um, and I think there's great value to be had.
That's an awesome way to talk about it. And I think a lot of people will suddenly be much more interested than have been before. It, um, I think we're all getting an acute re-education into what is most valuable at the moment, both socially and economically. It, uh, we're all getting a, a fast... We're all having to do a fast study on some of this stuff. One question that I think a lot of people will be thinking about is, do you think this is... Uh, that some of these companies will benefit from a you know, significant windfall from this crisis. I do think about universities and anywhere else doing research. One would imagine they're going to get a lot more funding mm. for medical research post this. Do you think it's going to be short term or do you think post this, you know, there'll be increased value in a lot of these companies going forward? Um, I think that is, I think if you if you look at I think there is um, it may also bring out the whole um, antibiotic and um, bacterial resistance back into into the limelight. I think it definitely will bring back um, viruses into the limelight. I think people will look at we've got for example hepatitis B infections. We have no cure for that. Um, I think things like that will come back. Um, I think overall, what also has been highlighting is the diagnostic part to it, which is something that we here at Platinum have always felt way, like for ever since I joined, that one of the things in healthcare to actually change a disease from just reacting to it to, to preventing something, you need very good diagnostic technologies. And there's a lot going on out there. And we're now seeing also that diagnostic is absolutely key in, in, in an outbreak like this. And we can't actually deliver because we, we can't make them. We don't have the machines and that high throughput. And I think that's another angle where, where there will be a lot of funding to say, OK, what are these high throughput technologies? How can we make it? How can we make it faster? Um, I think that's something we also, before that, it was a lot about oncology. How can we basically diagnose a tumour in, in, in a lot of molecular detail that we have? will profile it very much so I think that that will come back but overall it is it, it is what it had brought out is basically our own health and I think that's something where people will go back to and think like okay I should maybe think about it because now like oh, I wash my hands now am I okay do I have fever I for example measure our whole family every morning the temperature to make sure okay we're all under 37 yeah good we can go out it's that it comes it, it's something that I think in your mindset where you start no I have to think about and all the rumors about oh if you have a, a, a something with your heart you may be more receptive I think people will say like god do I have something wrong with my heart I think it is a different mindset and because it it's not going to go away tomorrow it is with us where we have to socially think about it a bit more. So overall, I think it'd be it's great great for healthcare. So, and it may be great for Apple Watches because everyone wants to track their heart rate. I don't know, but yeah, it's a, it's it's an incredible time, and I think. Um we're certainly, it's going to be interesting to see whether there are dramatic social and also legislative mm-hmm. changes to you know, whether you wonder whether airports are going to start screening yeah. people's tem- temperatures when they move around when yeah. things are back to normal. So question for you, what are you looking for in the healthcare sector if and when we return to normal in inverted commas? So I've basically been probably all through this um, uh, sell down or crashing, you want to call it. I've been adding to um, my company. So it feels terrible and you you wake up or usually wake up in the morning, you see America's down again. You're like, well, why did I do that? But in the end, it is it is that you have to um, look at the value, the intrinsic value of these companies. And there is um, huge opportunities. So um, we have been before a little bit worried about some of the valuation in gene therapy. Now I've just added two gene therapy companies because they look basically, come on, they're factu- manufacturing, they have an approved drug, they, um, yeah, rollout may be a bit slower, but 
they are in a prime position. Great management, great science. So it is that. So I look for companies that I really always wanted to own, but have restricted myself because they were expensive. I look at diagnostic. Um, we actually have looking at a lot of the um, med tech companies. We always felt they were the hiding area for a lot of um, investors. They have come off because everyone's worried about elective surgery being obviously cut, but that's gonna come back. And we've got a couple of things that we're gonna invest in there. So to me, it's, 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 um, it is great. It's, and you have to keep your cool really. And you've gotta just, um, keep trying to say, okay, what, what is it? What is the value in there? What are they going to do? Yeah, over the next couple of months, there's something, um, um, spatial genomics, for example, where you can basically look in a cell and you can can basically, in a 3D image, tell you what happens really, rather than just one time point. And um, so there, as a company that has a, has a new machine, and it's obviously delayed to be placed, but um, that will come back. There are problems about that. And I think, as you say, there may be more funding coming towards these these um, these, these academic labs. So I add to those companies and try and, and really um, build the portfolio and have a new reset. And obviously, we, we've had some very good ones because they were involved in some of these um, technologies. We may trim them, but in the end, We've never were in them because of COVID. We were in them because they have great technologies and good people running them. So, so we do it like that. There's nothing really changing. It's just that we now take advantage of this, of this um, sell down. So you've both made the point, Juliana and Bianca, that uh, you wanted to be sitting on a lot of cash before before now. Um, I apologise to any investors who uh, who find that useless advice at this point in time because you can't do anything about it after the fact. But if you are sitting on plenty of cash, you're making the point that now's the time to start thinking about deploying it. And you do, you know, for most of us, it, it doesn't feel great. It's hard. <laughs> you know, I've been placing some trades and thinking, how much am I going to hate myself for doing this? But, you know, that's, that's a question worth asking. Um, you know, so you, you steal yourself. You, you think about putting your capital to work at the moment. Do you have any other thoughts for investors at this point in time? Look, I think it's, it's uh, to be honest, I, I get anxious about the virus. I think it's not, I, I try to then step back and, and read and like look at the facts and try and do that. And I think it is, it, it feels uncomfortable. And it's, it, there is a time where we all basically have to, you know, go into containment or, or stay, stay away and try and, and do our best. That's the best therapy, as Angela Merkel said this week, said the best therapy for this is stay at home in isolation and, and, and look after yourself and your family. And I, I believe that, but it's um, but in the end, um, again going back to HIV, put yourself into that time when I think some people will remember the Green Reaper, Green Reaper um, ads here. It was terrible because you didn't know what it was, and you thought, oh my God, what are we going to get this? And is this what does it do? But the pharmaceutical company, Biotech, company came through. They came up with drugs, not a vaccine, unfortunately, but we have drugs. We 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 dealt we deal we dealt with the disease. And this will happen as well. It's just we can't really tell you when, but I think this is what happens probably faster than then. And I think then we all say, like, look back and say, like, okay, there were some terrible things happening during that time, but companies will continue and so will investments. So we look a lot at, you know, okay, there's a setback. What can this company really earn when they come out of this? Will they come out stronger? And I think that's what people should remember. It's sometimes to step back and say, okay, let's be rational. And, and look at that. It's it's hard. It's difficult. And um, 
and that's what I try to do. So I think it's it's not bad if you sometimes think, oh my god, that's really bad, but then you just there's times when you say, okay, I'm just going to go for that. So I think investors should look at it that way and try and be calm and not read too much. Sometimes I read too much Twitter and think, oh my god, that's terrible. And sometimes just say, oh, I read a good book now, and, and just switch off or go for a walk by yourself. So, but yeah, just wave at people from exactly, the other side yeah. of the street or the that's park. Right. Yeah, yeah, Julian. I think people need to remember that the 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 bigger the the setback, the more potential for springback there is, and this is a very unusual event that probably is, I think, in in its early innings in our part of the world, and it's probably going to feel worse over time, and and the worse it feels, the more you have to act against yourself. You know, you 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 really do have to make this a process and commit money. To markets because the biggest up moves in markets are from these type of events. Yeah. So, so all, all of our big, big years at Platinum over 25 years, they've been post huge setbacks in global markets. And you get um, odd shifts in markets as well. So, so leadership changes, um, you know, you sort, of, you sort of have these funny phenomena where the first becomes worst and the worst becomes first, almost invariably. So, you know, in that context, people, you know, things are on sale, go and buy them. You don't need to, again, don't put all your money in today because, right, yeah. Yeah, like, it's the same yeah. as toilet paper. You don't need all the toilet paper yeah. day one. <laughs> you know, eke right. it in over time. Yeah. Um, but, but you really, you know, it's the reverse of last year. This is the reverse of last year. And it wasn't just us saying it. It was everybody, it, you know, everyone, anyone who'd been in markets for a long time. So Buffett, Dalio... Um, Howard Marks, um, uh, Gunlack, the Bond guy, um, uh, Jeremy Grantham over at GMO, everyone was saying the same. And I bet you all of those people are now starting to do the reverse of what they were saying last year. Right, so Buffett will be running his ruler over stuff to buy. Um, all those investors will be committing money. Howard Marks was raising money for distressed debt funds right, last year. So now he's in a position to, to act. Mm. So, so that's all. I mean, you, you've just got to not just say the course, but actually realise that this is capitalism giving you the bargains. This is this is the time. Interesting you say that everyone was saying this. I talked to a lot of fund managers and a lot of people who run money and very few people were explicit about this last year. <laughs> very few people were saying take money off the table, right? Mm-hmm. There's not much of incentive them for, for them to say that. So uh, those who did say it have an opportunity to tell people to get back in. Those people who said stay the course... Uh, may have less credibility right now. Uh, <laughs> shouldn't say that explicitly, but it's true, right? You know, if, if your story to investors was stay in, stay in, stay in, if they're hurting now, they're not necessarily going to trust you to the same extent. You guys are quite famous as uh, being a contrarian house. You're always speaking against the sort of common voice, although you're in there with Buffett, apparently. And um, and those guys are not quite so contrarian when they're all saying the same thing. But uh, where do people go to keep up to date with what you guys are saying. Uh, Bianca, you had a video out about uh, coronavirus uh, quite recently, which is just really useful for people to have access to. So where do we go? So on, on our website would be the first stop. So, you know, platinum.com.au. Um, we've got a journal part of the website there. But, you know, if, if people want to hear from us, they can call us. So, you know, that's a big part of what we do. We actually try to communicate with people as opposed to sort of shoving sales messages down their throat. Um, and, and then we have a whole bunch of listed um, products for people. So we've got two, you know, a, 
an international fund and an Asia fund that are both listed in both an LIC form and a, and a effectively an ETF, an active ETF type form. Um, Bianca's fund is only available um, via a, 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 you know an, an offline, you know, an, a non-listed uh, open mutual fund mm-hmm. form. So via an advisor or via our website. Um, is it online fund? No, it's no. not at the moment. Right, so you should get on that. Excellent. Guys, thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Bianca Ogden and Julian McCormack from Platinum. Thank you thank very you. much. Thank you so much for listening, as always. We are really trying to keep you up to date at the moment, so I think our podcasts are going to go to quite an irregular schedule, uh, depending on when people are available to talk. We're <laughs> also exploring remote technology so we don't spread our germs all over everybody but you can listen without getting any germs which is great uh, we always love to hear from you if there are any topics you'd like to hear more about or guess you'd like to hear from please just email your suggestions to yourwealth@nab.com.au. i'm Gemma dale thanks for listening thank you for listening to your wealth with Gemma dale to stay up to date please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealthatnab.com.au. Any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.